Blessings to everyone. It's such a beautiful day. So good to be able to be also in the Lord's house together and hopefully grow together and learn together and, and just uh, be open to the receiving of what God wants to give us. And so, um, you know, one of the things we are doing here heading into the Easter season is we're focusing on this idea of life transformation. Our series is called Transforming Life. And speaking of transforming life, we have a, a special celebration that we're actually doing in this next Sunday evening, we have a, a number of people who are being baptized. Actually, we have 15 people who are going to be being baptized, and they um, are going to be part of a celebration that we're sharing together around transformation. And it's pretty cool because part of what they do is they share um, in some of their story. We have a little special way of presenting that. And then we also just have a time together afterwards of community and, and a meal together and barbecue. So it's a real special time. If you haven't done it, if you've ever, maybe some of you haven't even ever been baptized, you want to see what one is like or just support those who are stepping into this place. It's a great thing to just be aware of. So that's next Sunday evening, 6 o'clock here at the campus. Now let me go ahead and pray, ask God's blessing over our time. And Lord, I, I want to again invite you, thank you, welcome you into our hearts. I pray that we would be open. I do. I ask that you would, you would just speak to us as we share your word together. You know where we are in life. Um, you know struggles we have, fears we're facing. That You know areas that are really hard for us. You know the things that we're celebrating. You know everything. Nothing's hidden from you. But I want to ask you to meet us where we are here as we look in this word and learn from it together. You know, I just ask this in Jesus' name, in your name, Lord. Amen. God. So um, transforming life. When we were talking about it, heading, really something that was designed to get us into Easter, and we're going to make this journey together, we talked about how it has kind of three levels to it. First level, we were hoping everybody would, you know, see it through the lens of was John, the apostle John, the disciple John, who goes from being, you know, this kind of passionate, you know, ang angry, a little bit, he had some anger issues, um, into this, this transformation in which he becomes the, the disciple who's most noted for his love. His gospels his speaks of love. His letters speak of the love of God. Very profound transformation that occurs in his life. So part of what we're doing is we're looking at transforming life through the lens of John and how Jesus worked with him. We're also actually thinking about what Jesus did because Jesus takes death and he redefines life. I mean, the whole point of the cross and the resurrection has to do with transforming life changing the way we think about life, thinking about what is yet to be and what his death means. So part of what we're doing is we're making a journey on another level, watching how Jesus' very life itself transforms life. And then thirdly, we want to think about our own lives with God and how he wants to invite us into places of transformation as well. So at, at each of those levels, we're hoping to engage things. Now, as far as John was concerned, I know we mentioned this last week, but John... Um, he was probably the youngest of the disciples. It's generally regarded as such. He also, though, was part of an inner circle that Jesus had. I mean, if you read the Gospels, one of the things we'll note is that Jesus had a, an extended group. He had a group of 12. He had another group of about 70 people who had attached themselves to his community. But he also had an even broader audience than that. But the, there were three disciples that he trusted the most, seeing that he poured the most intimately into and he would take them places sometimes that he didn't take the others. Um, for example, there are at least three occasions that set out in the scriptures where Jesus takes only with him James, John, and Peter. And one of those occasions is what we're going to be looking at. It's, it's, the, it's the house of Jairus. There's a moment there. Another one was, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration, which we'll also be exploring. And then 
the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, again, the one we want to focus on, and we're going to look at, is what occurs here in the 8th chapter of Luke. And so I want us to turn there, if we can, and look at this passage together, and I think it will come alive for us. At least that's my prayer. Just reading through verse, verse 40 through 44... Uh, it says that so it was that when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. So Jesus was very popular at this time. A lot of people were interested in him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. There he is. He's first mentioned. And this man was not just any man. He was actually a leader. He was a ruler of a synagogue at that, in that region. So he was actually someone of tremendous prominence, power, prestige. He was well known. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and he begged him to come to his house for he had, we're told the reason why, he had an only daughter. She was 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, Jesus, the multitudes began to throng and pressing on him. And it says, now, a woman having a, flood of, a flow of blood from, for 12 years, so she had a blood disease. She's sometimes referred to as the woman with the issue of blood, the woman with the blood disease. And she has spent, we're told, all of her livelihood on physicians, doctors, but none of, she couldn't be healed by anybody. Her disease only continued to worsen. And she came from behind and she touched the border, the hem of, of Jesus' garment, and immediately the flow of blood stopped, it changed, it was healed up. Now, you cannot look at this, I mean, we look at this passage here and we, I think initially we would be struck by contrast. Do you see it? Do you see the immediate contrast? The woman and with the blood disease, whose name we do not know in this Ruler Jairus, they're, they're inextricably connected. Um, to touch one is to touch the other. Their stories unfold together. Uh, but they are really a contrast. Look at Jairus. What is he? He's a man of prestige and power. He's a man of the upper class. He's highly regarded, respected, revered by people. He held a position of honor. Um, again, he was a ruler, a leader. Um, People would have known Jairus and, and respected him, made way for him. He was, you know how it is, people have power. But this woman, we're told, whose name we do not know, if you could have think of someone the polar opposite, it would be her, because she came from, like, the bottom. One of the things we know, and we can see it very clearly here, is that she was kind of an outcast. Now, again, through our own modern lens, we may not appreciate where, what her place was. Again, we look at it through the lens of sort of modern medicine and what we know about disease, but in their day, someone who had that kind of a blood disease would have been sort of set aside on the margin. In fact, many places would have been considered unclean. It went all the way back to the Old Testament teachings because if you read, in, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but in Leviticus 19, the, the, the children of Israel, when they were being led out of, out of Egypt and were just forming as a people, God gave them some laws to live by. Many of those laws had moral amplifications to them. Others were more practical. One of the laws had to do, a lot of those set of laws had to do with how they were to interact with people who were sick. It was actually given as a blessing to them for hygienic purposes in an era where people had no knowledge of disease and even how it spread. And part of what would happen is when someone would acquire a disease in the Older Testament period, the law of Moses would suggest that they would be put outside the camps so that until that resolved itself, they would not spread that among the people. Now, by Jesus' day, there was still a lot of lack of knowledge about disease. In fact, at the time, someone like this woman would have been set aside on the far margin. She would, she would have actually been stigmatized because she, she was someone who, who you know, was feared. People, people knew she was diseased. And in fact, she couldn't even go to the temple. 
Um, some people w would have even made it even worse for her because they, they would have suggested that maybe she did something wrong to even get into this place. On top of that, we know that she was now exceptionally poor. Why do we know that? Because what does it say? She has spent her entire livelihood, all the money she had was spent on trying to get healed. And it says that by this time, she had nothing left. So she's on the outskirt of, of society. She's segregated away. In fact, sometimes she has to let people know she's unclean. Um, she's got no money. It doesn't seem like she has anything. She's clearly getting weakened in her condition. Blood, one thing we know about a blood disease is it will weaken you. And now this has been a number of years, so she's weak. She's poor. She's on the outside. They, they are a completely different situation, but they each need Jesus to do something. What does Jairus need Jesus to do? He needs Jesus to, to heal his daughter, and he can't do it. And Jesus, he, so Jairus comes on behalf of someone else to Jesus, but this woman comes because she's got her own need. Now, go back to verse 41. Look, look with me here, because let's just kind of read through it. And, and what I'm hoping we will do is sort of let this thing settle into our mind's eye. Just for a moment, try to imagine what this was like. Because we read the Bible a lot of times, and, and sometimes we just read it, and it's letters on a page, and it's good. It has tremendous value, and at times it speaks to us. But let, let, let kind of get our mind to think for a moment about what this moment would have been like. It says that when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him because they were all waiting for him. So there's a lot of people were waiting for Jesus. His reputation had preceded him. And there, and there came this man named Jairus, right, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, again, people would have recognized him. And uh, again, imagine Jesus walking with his, his, the crowd of people all around him. Some of that crowd is John's there. A lot of the disciples, remember, they were fishermen. He's got quite an interesting group of guys with him. A lot of other people are interested. A lot of people in the town are there. There's this, you know, there's dust. There's a lot of movement. People are excited. There's a lot of interest in Jesus. Jesus is walking with his disciples. They're together. He's moving through the crowd. They're trying probably to keep some people away. Give him room. Give him room. Make way. Jesus is trying to get through here. You know, we're working together. There's all that. And then all of a sudden, in the back, you can see the, 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 there's a melting away of the, of the crowd. And there's a man who's kind of coming. And the crowd is making, making way for him. And that crowd is kind of murmuring, isn't that Jairus? And there was, again, mentioned at the time, a lot of controversy around Jesus. Men like Jairus didn't necessarily embrace Jesus, didn't necessarily feel like he was... He was lettered. He wasn't trained. He said things, no question. He had power. They couldn't explain, but they didn't necessarily believe he was who he said he was, who people were saying he was. But now we have this leader coming, and the people are aware of who he is. And you can hear them saying, it's just Jairus. Why is he going to confront Jesus? What's going to happen? And they're making way, and Jairus is making his way, and he looks pretty desperate. He seems in a hurry. Is he being aggressive? Can't tell gets down there, and then before anybody can do anything, it says that Jairus, what does it say he does? He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He gets into the dirt. He gets there and he starts begging. That's the picture, begging. Would you, now that would have, that immediately would have caught everybody off, completely off guard. Because men like him didn't do that. And I imagine John's there and the rest of the disciples are there. Everybody's kind of like watching, what's, what is going on? And he's down there and he's going, I need you. I need you to come with me. I need you to come with me now. I need you to heal my daughter. Would you, would you do this? Because the word, he, he believed it was his last chance. 
What, else, what does he have to lose? I mean, there are these places, right? When you have no options left, when you have nowhere else to turn, and the Nazarene was a healer. His, truth, his touch, it was said, brought life. So now the controversy around him meant nothing to me. I just need you to come. I need you to touch her. Would you heal her? I, I got nothing else. Would you do that? And, and again, I, you know, he, he needs a miracle. Now, what, this, what his daughter meant to him, I, I can only imagine, you know. I have two, two daughters. Thought of losing either of them at best, even, even more so at that age. If, if they were my only one, I unbelieve. Oh, beyond heartbreaking. Would you, would you please come with me? That's what I asked. Just come. And Jesus says, evidently, I will. You will. You will. Because look what it happens. It says that, it says that for he had his only daughter. But as he went, all right, I will, I will. The, the people begin to, he's going with Jairus. The people are all around him. He's moving. And Jairus says, we have to hurry. We have to hurry. Time is of the essence. We, we must, we must go now. Can you, if we can go, if we can do it as fast as possible, I, that would be, and then as they're moving along and everybody, all of a sudden, look what we're told happens. It says there's this woman, the one we refer, who has an issue, who has the blood disease. Now, what she does, if you see it, right, she, who has spent everything she had, somehow in her mind, okay, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know where the thought came from. But in her mind, she believed that if somehow she could make her way to the place where she could actually touch him, hold on to him, she believed in her mind. She had what do you call them, superstition or faith, whatever you want to call it, but Jesus calls it faith. She believed that if she laid hold of Jesus, she could be healed. And again, I tried, let's just try. We read it. Okay, that's one thing. But again, in our mind's eye, what's going on there? Where is she? She must have decided, I'm just going to position myself. Somehow, I'm going to sneak in there, and I'm going to find a way. And when he's going by, I'm, I, I, I'm just going to reach out. And, I'm going to, and the word here is that we translate out touch is actually grab a hold of. And, and she says, I'm going to basically, when he's going by, and I imagine, again, it's just, it's she also, there's men, there's people moving, everybody's around Jesus, and then all of a sudden, it's like she just, just like leaps through there and grabs the hole. We know he had a tassel on the back side, probably on four sides. And she just grabs the hole of it, and all of a sudden, she, she feels, and again, what was that like? What was that moment like? I don't know. Except Jesus, the way it's implied is that as, as she does it, as she grabs hold of it, and maybe people trampled her by, maybe, maybe she, she barely got it, but all of a sudden she could feel, she could feel strength come into her body. Talk about an accelerated healing. We, we understand healing from a modern perspective that in previous eras would have seemed incredible based on just our raw understanding of, of te technological advancement, but Jesus... The immediate reorientation of the DNA and the healing of her blood, an extraordinary moment as the creative power of God flows into her body. There's this moment that is described without any explanation beyond just saying what it is. And that, but here's the deal. As Jesus is walking, what does it say? The crowds are all around him. Jesus is walking, and they're making their way to drive. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he stops. And what does it say he says? He says, who touched me? Who grabbed me? 
And Peter, we gotta love Peter. Lord, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here, but everybody's, everybody's touching you. What do you mean? What kind of question is that? Come on. Have you, everybody around here has been touching you. What do you mean? What do you mean by who to know? Somebody, somebody touched me differently. Somebody touched me differently. Where are you? You. And there she was. And you know what the Bible says? Maybe she had hoped to melt away, right? The crowd goes and she had just kind of like, she stole a blessing. And he says, you? He looked at her. And what does it tell us? She comes to him, what? With fear. And, and I'm not making it. And she's shaking. She's trembling. She's afraid. Right? I, and it says that she starts to tell what happened. I, I believe that if I could touch you, I, I've had a disease. I, I did it. And, 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 and the power of it, it I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm not, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> and then, and what does Jesus do here? He says to her, no one, no, everybody, at this point, everybody's watching. No one, this is all, it's happening in, in motions. And everybody's still, well, what is Jesus going to do? And what does he say to her? He says, daughter, it's a beautiful, beautiful word. He says, look at your daughter. It's rendered in the older version, be of good cheer. That is, you don't be, you be happy in this moment. Blessings to you. Don't you be afraid? Come on. Your faith, your faith in me has made you well. Your faith in me has made you well. Now what I want you to do is you go and you go in peace. You go in the peace of God. How beautiful is that? And everybody's amazed and happy except for one man. Because he's going. And while Jesus was speaking, it says, look what it says. While he was speaking, another man shows up, a messenger, and says, Jairus, don't bother the teacher. <laughs> your, your daughter's dead, man. She's, she, there's no need. And in that moment, it, it's like, Everything falls apart for Jairus. And then Jesus heard it. He, he says to Jairus something absolutely incredible. Look what he says to him. He says to him, listen to me in this moment. And you just need to take it for what it is. He says, do not, do not be afraid. Only believe. And then the incredible statement that must have, she shall be made well. Now we will continue with this next week. <laughs> because I want to say a few things about real life. And I want to interact with it a little bit differently, right? And I would like us to think about something. So I'm going to put something up on the board here. And here's the first one that I want to suggest. And that is this. 
that desperation, if you think about it, because it's a little bit about desperation. Desperation can change the way that you and I reach out to Christ. It really can. I mean, when some <laughs> Jairus was willing to throw <laughs> decorum out, wasn't he? You know what he was willing to do? He was willing to become undignified because he had a need that he couldn't meet by himself. So here's the deal. As I was thinking about it, all the titles, all the prestige, all the acquisitions, accomplishments, all the, all the you know, respect, it didn't mean anything to him at this moment. Then there are times in lives where we become so desperate that it's not about appearances. We just need help. And sometimes that help has to do with things that are crumbling inside of us. And nobody else may even be able to see it, but it's there and we're desperate. We might be bound up in something. We might be crippled by an emotion. We might feel like there is no way out and every ounce of money I have can't get me out of it. That's where God can step in in amazing ways. But he's going to challenge us. Now, desperation, when we have it, it will change the way we reach out to Christ. The woman also, the, the, with her disease, you know, she reached out in her own way too. Her, she had the grip of faith because she had nowhere else to go. And there's something about that. That's one of the reasons why Jesus said the poor received him gladly. A lot of times, nothing else they have. Blessed are you, he said. The kingdom is open to you, to all rich, poor, and everyone else. Then I thought, you know, Lord, not only does desperation force us our hand, but it sometimes it will make us even fall, crawl in the dirt to get to whatever we have to do. I looked, one of the things I noticed both of them do is he, he falls at the feet of Jesus and begs. And she crawls on the ground to touch it. In both cases, it's humility. We don't get to God up here. We get to him down here. And that's why brokenness can be a gift. And it leads me to the second thought, which I've been thinking about, which is that when we are desperate, what happens is it allows us, and I'll put this up, it allows us to be able to open ourselves up to the transformational touch of Jesus. The way I look at it, God resists the proud, God gives grace to the humble, so desperation tends to draw us towards humility. Humility tends to open us up to the touch, and the touch of Jesus opens us up to transformation. And the transformation is what he can work in our lives. Sometimes the vehicle of genuine, positive breakthrough in our lives is connected to the humility that flows out of a desperate heart. We have nowhere else to go and no way to solve it on our own. In my weakness, I am made strong. <laughs> That's the way of the Lord. But, and here's three, the delays of life are going to test us. And I don't know if you see it. I think you do. I think we do. There are times where we're saying, okay, okay, like Jairus. He's going, thank you, thank you. Can we hurry? And he's, for a moment, he's feeling good. We're, I'm on our, we're, we're on our way. And then the woman and Jesus stops. The delay, the detour, 
the interruption that all of a sudden it's like, no, no, no. That, see, in those moments, that's what we're talking about here. Those places where we feel like it's, yeah, 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 yeah. This is the way it's starting to go. Good, good, good. And then all of a sudden the delay hits us or we get a setback. Something occurs and now that is going to stretch us farther than we feel we can go. I can't wait. I cannot do it. We got to go now. See that, and then we're being stretched beyond what we feel. I, I, I can't do that. I don't have it. Not in me. And it was in that moment, right? Like, what are you doing in these moments? That's where God wants to grow our faith. And I, when he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Oh, my God. I was like, four or five, here they come. There are times when God wants to stretch us beyond our fear, right? When he's going to remind us not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear is so powerful. Have you ever been afraid? I mean, really afraid. I have. And when we're afraid, we're not sure if we can make it. We don't know. Sometimes when we get afraid of things, we're afraid of what might happen, what could happen. Part of us starts to say, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if I have what it I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know. I don't know. What happens, what happens if I, I can't do it, Lord? What, what, what happens if I fall behind? Am I gonna fall behind? What, am I gonna get left behind? How am I gonna get out of this thing? How do I get out of it? How do I stay one day when it looks like I gotta look down the road? And when we look down the road, we are so afraid. I don't have that. See, that's what he's talking about. And he will say to some of us, maybe some of us right now, he will say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Trust me. And that's the peace where we sit with, we close with, we honor it. There are going to be times when the Lord is going to challenge us to have faith in him and to trust him. Believe that a deliverance is possible. And I know not everything is healed the way we think it, it should be healed. Sometimes the answer to healing is, you know, we want it today, and sometimes it's not today, it's in another way. Sometimes it's not today, it's going to be a delay. I don't want to be, like, too trite with it, but sometimes it's like it's not today, it's going to have to come in some other direction. And sometimes it's not going to happen until the final day when I leave this temporary life and I meet the one who sets all things right. And I can live with each one of those places knowing that along the way what his will is is to transform us for that is a healing in and of itself and to all of us who are afraid to all of us who need healing he would say to us trust me don't run from me let's walk together let's walk together can you do that Jairus, Jairus, can you do that? Will you walk with me? But what you're saying is, it's, it's impossible. Will you walk with me? Let's pray. We'll have our time of giving, and our song connects to this, this idea of desperation. On the back end, hanging by a moment. But Lord, I, ju I just, again, invite you into the places in our lives where we, we don't always see things. And when we, some of us know, some of us know desperation. And if we haven't lived long enough to experience it, we'll, will 
because it will happen. It's real life. And it happens sometimes when we see it coming way in advance, and sometimes it happens when we didn't see it, and now we're in it. And what do we do? These are places to trust you, to have our faith grow, but they're also scary. And I pray that we would welcome you in. I think of it like this, Lord. Welcome you into the darkness. You who are the light of the world, come into the dark places. Come into the shameful places. Come into the the lonely places. Come into the angry places. Come into the places where we feel utterly paralyzed by our own incapacity to do the things we feel we must do. People want to mock us and call us, oh, that's just a crutch. Mock on. But there are times, Lord, when we come to the end of ourselves and all we have is you. And I welcome you to those places. I pray each one of us would be willing to do that. That's what I ask. I ask it for all of us. I ask this in Jesus' name.